There are some things that are just incompatible with other things. That they just don't fit together. They don't match. There are certain clothing combinations that you're not supposed to wear. Or else the, the fashion police will be on you. Or not even fashion police. There's people that have eyes will be able to see that. Just, you shouldn't be wearing that. Uh, there's uh, things that don't go together with computer systems. You try to use a, a program that's built for one computer system with a uh, uh, a new or a, a different computer and it may not work or you try to open a, a, a new program and an old computer and sometimes that's just not going to happen either. Other things that just don't match, they're incompatible, just sometimes simple things. Drinking pop out of a ceramic coffee mug. There's just something wrong with that. If you've ever been desperate, it's just like this doesn't work. There's certain things that are uh, decorum. I mean, if you're at a funeral, you're not telling jokes. You're not giving high fives. It's not, a, it's not a good fit. It's not appropriate. Things that we say to people, there needs to be a certain, uh, a certain way that it matches. And other times it may just not fit. I was at the store this past week and I was making a purchase and a salesman helped me out. And at the end, he, he said to me after completing the sale, he said, thank you for coming in. And I replied to him, I said, you too. I thought, what, what? So, yeah, thanks, thanks for coming to work today. Glad, glad that you showed up. Um, toothpaste and orange juice. Just now, how cruel is that? Okay. Um, and like we said, new devices. Sometimes you buy a new device and that old adapter doesn't work. So you could give all kinds of examples of these things that are they don't match their compatibility errors. They don't go together, and that can be the case with attitudes. It can be the case, the case with something uh, that, that's old and something that's new that, that don't fit together. And we'll be looking at more examples of these because in this passage, Jesus is going to give us a list of several things that he says these are compatibility errors. These do not match. They don't go together. And Jesus is doing this in response to some criticism that he was having about he, how he and his disciples, how they seemed to be uh, going about their ministry. People were real amazed by Jesus' ministry at first. He's teaching, he's doing these miracles, he's healing. And we're seeing now Jesus is starting to get more criticism uh, from the Pharisees, uh, from others, that they had their pre-established way of doing things and Jesus wasn't doing it that way. Last week we saw that Jesus... Uh, he was getting criticism because he was eating with tax collectors and sinners. And that's not what a good, a good person would be doing, associating with those kind of people. So we get some more criticism here today. Let's read this. Luke chapter 5, 33-39. And they said to him, and by the way, if we, we compare this with the um, one of the other uh, gospel accounts, we see that this was the uh, the they was the uh, disciples of John are the ones that came to him, and they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. And he also told them a parable. 
No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says, the old is good. All right, let's unpack this and figure out what is going on. So again, we have to think, Jesus is saying this in response to some criticism that he was having for the, uh, the attitude and the things that he and his disciples were doing. So our first point, we're going to look at verses 33 through 35. And we'll sum this up by saying that the companionship of Jesus is incompatible with gloomy joylessness. So the companionship or the, 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 the friendship, the presence of Jesus, it just doesn't fit with this, this sour disposition, a type of uh, joyless devotion that the Pharisees and even the followers of John uh, that they were having. So again, we need to interpret this in the context of what Jesus is responding to. And I'm going to explain why I say that this is, I think, a way that we can summarize uh, this section. So again, we have to first notice what Jesus and his disciples, what they're being accused of here. Because it said, okay, you're doing things different here than the way that John's disciples do things. Okay, they're, they're very serious. And the way that the Pharisees and their disciples, he said, hey, they, they fast often. Okay, so they go without food. They're showing their devotion, this time of uh, just of, of a somber time to reflect upon God and getting serious with Him and, and offering prayers. Uh, but he says, yours, eat and drink. Now, obviously when it says eat and drink, uh, you have to eat, you have to drink. Okay, we get this. But it's not just that they were eating and drinking. This was uh, just enough to, to get by. They were enjoying what they were eating and what they were drinking. They were having fellowship with other people. So they were doing this with a, a different attitude and basically saying, what are your followers, what's, what's their problem? They seem like they're, they're actually happy, actually enjoying the, uh, the company of other people. And we saw last week even you know, sinners being around them. And saying, well, don't you know that the truly spiritual people, you know, you know that they're spiritual because they're not all smiley and happy. You know, they're, they're serious. Now Jesus, just to be clear here, obviously his point is not that prayer is a bad thing. Okay, prayer is a good thing. Jesus prayed. He teaches his disciples to pray. He had regular times of prayer. He's not saying that fasting is a bad thing either. Uh, there's a place for that. Uh, but I think what he's talking about He's not saying that fasting and offering prayers were bad things. The Bible talks about fasting and prayers, but they are practices that had become dried out because of the man-made rules and expectations of people like the Pharisees and even like some of these people that were following, uh, following John. And so that's why I think it's an issue of some of the attitude that they didn't like uh, Jesus's. The disciples, they didn't seem spiritual enough. 
and they seem too happy, too joyful. Fasting, it is something that uh, is, is commended in Scripture, and there's a time for that. We can focus on prayer, focus on that we are not fed merely by the, uh, the food of this world, but uh, realizing that our ultimate satisfaction comes from God. But fasting had become a very big deal in these days. It had become very much associated with mourning, with uh, being sorrowful. And people would try to, to show that they were really into it. They would try to look as gloomy as possible when they were fasting. They would look gloomy. They would try to look miserable because they figured, well, that's how God, he will see how serious we really are by how miserable we look. And we'll be able to get his attention. And probably, you know, other people around us, <clears throat> you know, they'll see how serious, you know, we are as well about these things. And I, I get that from, there's a passage in Matthew, I'll bring this up on the screen, and I'll read this as well. Matthew 6.16, 6, Jesus teaches, and when you fast, okay, so you can, it is something to be doing. He says, but do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And Jesus goes on and says, hey, when you do this, wash your face, uh, anoint your head. Uh, have it seen by God the Father. It doesn't need to be seen by everyone else. And I think part of this is also saying that don't think it's a matter of the more that you beat yourself up and the more that you look and make yourself look pitiful and miserable, that you're going to be able to manipulate God and get His attention because He'll see how serious that you are. The Pharisees, they had their customs. Uh, the only time that fasting is really commanded in Scripture is in connection with the Day of Atonement. But the Pharisees, they had decided that the godly people should fast twice a week. So Monday and Thursdays were days of fasting for them. So they would fast on a regular basis. So, so Jesus and his disciples, they're not following the rules of, of the Pharisees. And in response, Jesus says to them, he has this imagery of, of a wedding. And he says, can you make the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? So he's saying, you've got the guests that they're there. They're for this joyful occasion. And they are, they're their guests, their friends with the groom on this extremely happy time. And this is not a time uh, for, for fasting. This is not... In fact, you weren't allowed to fast during that time. The appropriate thing was to be experiencing joy because you're having joy with, with the groom. I mean, what kind of a miserable wedding would that be? You know, if you, you go there and all the wedding guests, you know, they're just, they're, they're, they're weeping and crying. You know, they're, um, you have the, uh, the groomsmen and the bridesmaids. Um, what kind of reminds me, you know, when Hope and I got married, you know, her, her bridesmaids are all, they're just crying for her and weeping and uh, super sad. You know, she's destroying her life. And I'm just kidding. It wasn't like that. <clears throat> but that would be just a terrible, out-of-place thing. I mean, friends are going to be happy for someone at, at this joyful time. So Jesus is saying, there's, there's going to be a time for fasting. There's going to be a time for being serious. But right now, he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm here. And so the focus of this passage isn't really about fasting. It really isn't about prayer. There's going to be plenty of things that, where Jesus teaches about that. 
But it's the focus of the passage here is about the presence of Jesus Christ. And that when Jesus is present, and when you are in a good relationship with Him, when He is your friend, when He is your companion, when He is your, your joy and your treasure, that there's something that makes that incompatible with joylessness, with some kind of gloomy mourning. The sour, joyless Christian is a, is a contradiction in terms. Okay, we're never going to put you on church discipline for smiling in church. There's something about being with Jesus and realizing that He's, he's here with us that should make us glad. And to realize that gloomy, miserable devotion is not what Jesus is looking for. Have you ever met a Christian that seems to think that that is the case though? That the more miserable they can make themselves look, that they seem so serious because they are just so, so miserable. There's something wrong about that if we realize that Jesus, that He's with us. You know, at one point in this message, I try to have the main points be some sort of a sentence Something that you can get across a main point. And at one point, I wrote, the, the presence of Jesus is incompatible with mourning. And I had that for a while, and I realized that's, that's not exactly right. Because there is a place for mourning. And just because, and I don't want to give the impression that if there's something that is genuinely sad that happens, Sometimes we lose a loved one when people are sick, when people are hurting. There are things in this world that we look at and we grieve over. And so I am not suggesting here that we just become a, uh, a, a laughy, smiley, clappy church that uh, we just ignore all the problems in the world, that we just try and smile away everything. But what I am saying is that when we have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, there is a deeply embedded joy even underneath the morning, that at the core is not taken away, even though there are appropriate times of mourning. There is a place for that. There is a place for sorrow. And so, there can be times of mourning, but there is also the way that, to recognize that if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we don't have to have a, a gloomy joylessness or a gloomy type of sullen devotion I think another application for this is to realize that we should not try to be more spiritual than Jesus. And sometimes people do that with our man-made rules. That if you are really serious, uh, you will do this, you will act like this, you will buy this product, you will wear this type of thing. And if that's not biblical, we could be going above and beyond what Jesus is actually saying. And if you think in order to be spiritual, it means you have to be sullen all the time, you're doing something unbiblical and you're trying to be more spiritual than Jesus actually is. I think the last thing we can think of is this should make us realize something about what do you think it was like to be around Jesus? I think sometimes we have these weird conceptions about Jesus that we imagine what it would be like to be around him if, if he was in the flesh. And it's something that we really wouldn't want to be around him. That we would feel just really uh, just nervous or uh, that he'd be out of touch with us. 
Sometimes this is the case from, well, just the way that we have things imagined or we're taught or we see these movies about Jesus, you know, where it's like Jesus, he has his heads, he's so spiritual, his heads are float, his head is in the clouds, you know, he's just detached and almost like he's on another plane of existence from us, you know, mere, uh, you know, mortals. Well, in their sense, he is holy, he is you know, set apart. We get that. And there's something that is amazing about Jesus. But you realize that his disciples, they, they were comfortable being around him. They enjoyed being around Jesus. They were, they were happy being around him. They had, they had fellowship. They were able to, to, to eat and, and to drink. And they were able to... Uh, it was a good thing. I think Jesus had a personality that brought out joy in people. That once they were in a right relationship with Him, it made them comfortable. They didn't have to be walking on eggshells and I was worried and nervous. And so looking at this, we should rethink maybe what we think about what Jesus was like. To be with Him was a thing of great joy. Well, verse 35 says, "...there will be a day that will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and they will fast in those days." He said, hey, there's going to be an appropriate time for fasting because I'm going to be taken away. And this is pointing ahead to what we are going to be commemorating as we take the Lord's Supper today, as we move into uh, Easter week, celebrating Good Friday, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and and the time period that He is gone before the resurrection that there would be an appropriate time where the bridegroom is taken away. Happiness and mourning. By the way, what time do you think we're in now? When Jesus is, is risen, should we be happy because we have the presence of Jesus that's, that's with us? I mean, do you believe that Jesus is present as we, as we gather together as a church? Should that fill us with joy? Or is this a time of mourning still because Jesus is not returned yet? That there's something more to look forward to when He actually comes in the clouds, when He comes back? Which is it? I think in a sense the answer is yes. I think there's a sense that we can and should be filled with joy. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, yeah, that should give us this internal joy. But there's also a longing that we have as we, as we look forward to His return, we look forward to our, our capacity being even made more full. Because as great as it is together here in worship, and I'm so thankful for everyone uh, just being able to worship together with our brothers and sisters in Christ this morning. Uh, what, a, what a pleasant, good time that is. But imagine what it's going to be like when He's actually here in the flesh, returned. So we can have joy now, but there's so much more to be looking forward to. Well, Jesus also, he goes on, and verses 36 through 39 will sum it up by saying that the new that Jesus brings is incompatible with the old. And here, Jesus gives some parables. A parable is a story or an illustration that he throws in there in order to explain things. And Jesus was a master at doing these. So let's look at some of the ones that he gives and what this means. The first one, he says, there's actually a few, has to do with patching clothing. 
And he says, no one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Okay, so you can't, you don't use a piece of new cloth to patch old clothes. Okay, why? Why not? Why don't you do that? If you know what you're doing, why would you not do that? He says, because if he does, he will tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. So he gives two reasons here. So you have your old clothes and it's already shrunk. You take a new piece that hasn't been shrunk yet, you sew it in there, and when that piece shrinks, it's going to rip away from the old, and you've, you've now wrecked both things. It looks foolish. It doesn't even match. So he's saying you can't be taking something from the old way, the old system, the old way of doing your life, and patch that on the new and expect this to be an improvement or expect it to work. It's going to wreck it. It's not going to improve it. He gives another illustration with wineskins. And he says, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and we spilled out and the skins will be destroyed. New wine must be put into fresh wineskins. So you don't bottle up new wine in old wineskins. Now, to understand this, we realize when it talks about a wineskin here, it literally meant skins. Okay, some of you might have a covering for your phone that it, they call it a skin when you buy it. And it's not made of skin. Uh, I, I guess you could have a leather one or something, and it would be, but most of the time it's not. But a wine skin, it was made from skin. And uh, there may be these, you know, it was like a pouch, a leather pouch. And sometimes you may see ones that look, you know, very factory made. In the old day, they would take maybe a goat or something, and after they killed it, they would take its skin and they would process it the right way and uh, sew up the, the legs and the, the neck. And sometimes you see this thing and you look at pictures and you'd say, okay, yeah, that is a, that is a goat uh, that they're drinking out of and storing their wine in. Okay, so it was literally a wine skin. And he's saying you're not going to put new wine into an old one because when it's new, it still has some flexibility to it. It still has elasticity to the skin. But over time, it would get less elastic. It wouldn't be able to stretch. It would get more, uh, more brittle, a little more fragile. And he says if you put new wine in there, the new wine, it's still in the process of fermenting. And so it's going to make it expand. And so if you put it into a wineskin, that can't stretch, that can't expand. It's just going to rip it. And the wine goes everywhere and everything is wrecked. So he's saying this is an illustration of a way that, that there's, there's something about the old that cannot be compatible with the new. And then the last illustration that he gives, he says, and no one after drinking old wine des desires new, for he says the old is good. Now we have to look at that in context. Because if we just took that by itself, we could use that to say, yeah, see, the old is good. So if you have something that's older that you like, you could take that out of context. But I think in context, what Jesus is saying is that some people who are used to the old don't even want to try the new. They're going to say, well, the old is good enough, the old way of doing things, so I don't want to try, I don't even want to try this new thing. Now, these verses can be massively abused. Okay? 
And you might be wondering, am I going to try and use these to support something? Uh, I've heard different sermons you know, over the past that have used these to support anything. We're going to try something new in church and uh, see we're trying a new wine skin here and uh, you can't put, you know, we, we need new ways of doing things. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. I don't think he's, he doesn't have in mind whether you can use uh, it, certain instruments in church or he's not talking about different methods. What can we have uh, projected on the screen or things like that? Uh, that's just not what he's talking about. I mean, we can, you can debate those in other ways. Some people could abuse these and say that we have to update Christianity altogether. That, you know, we have beliefs that just don't fit with this new world. We've got to update to the times. But again, that would really go against the teaching of Scripture and that would abuse this passage. So what is he really teaching us? I think the main point is that you can't mix the old way and Jesus' way. Remember, Jesus is coming and there are new things that His way, it's different from what the Pharisees and these other religious people have been doing. And they're saying to Him, Jesus, You're not doing it the way that we expect You to be doing it. We have this worked out. We have it written as far as what is the, the proper way to be spiritual. And it's our way. And we base this on the Old Testament and as well as our interpretation and our additional rules and improvement. And you're doing something different, Jesus. And Jesus is saying, yeah, I am. I'm bringing something that this is new. This is different from what you expect. And I am not going to fit into your system. I'm not going to be put into your mold. I'm not going to let you bottle me up into uh, your, your old wineskin. I am not going to just be a patch for, for your old life. He's saying, I am bringing something that is genuinely new and I am not concerned about fitting your demands and expectations. So you can't patch Jesus into the garment of their system. You can't bottle him up into dried out old wineskins. Jesus brings something new. And in fact, when Jesus would institute the Lord's Supper at the end, which we're going to celebrate. Think of what he says as he pours the wine. He says, Jesus would say, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. That with his sacrifice, what he was doing was instituting this new covenant. Something else that we can consider from this. Bringing something new, he's the fulfillment of everything that was in the Old Testament. The things that were proper in the Old Testament, they were there, they were good. They had a time where uh, it was meant to be that way. Now, salvation never came through sacrificing these, these animals. Those all pointed ahead towards the ultimate one that would come and that would fulfill these Old Testament things. But there was a time when those things were meant to be. When the, the old garments, they were, they were new. When the old wineskin was still new and it was supposed to be that way. 
but it became old and worn out with uh, these man-made additions. And it wasn't meant to last forever. It was meant to point ahead to when Christ would come. And He would do this, the one sacrifice that truly can take away our sin. That truly can give us a relationship with God. And so Jesus is saying, yes, something new needed to come. Another application that maybe we consider for this as well too is to realize that that you can't just patch Jesus onto your old life. You can't just mix and match your old life with Jesus. We've said that Jesus teaches that that you you need to be born again. Jesus needs to make you new. And maybe you're here and you think, well, I've tried this Jesus thing and it really hasn't been working out for me. Maybe I tried it in the past and it's just it, my life got worse. But could that be the case that you thought you could just take a little bit of Jesus and just patch him onto the old and think, well, I'll just, I just need a little bit. My, most of my life is fine. I just need a little bit to cover this little thing here, that, this little rip I don't like. But it doesn't work like that. Jesus didn't come to just patch us up. and it's, Instead, Jesus offers sinners a whole new garment of His righteousness. He came to clothe you in His righteousness, head to toe. He didn't just come to fill your old, dried-out heart with joy. He came to give you a new heart to contain that joy, even as that joy expands. The new that Jesus brings is incompatible with the old. And Jesus' new way really is the only way. And it's a way that gives us joy in Him. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You so much for sending Jesus Christ in this world. Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man, and that He is the only way that we can be saved. We thank You for the Old Testament, pointing ahead to Jesus Christ, to the One that would come, that would be the ultimate sacrifice, the One that by the shedding of His blood really could take away our sins. And so we thank You that He was come and we look to Him and we think about the love that He gave us. And Lord God, we are filled with hearts that are serious when we think of the serious thing that happened for us on the cross. So help us to have the right attitude when we think of that, and then simultaneously to be filled with joy that we worship a risen Savior. We worship a Savior that is present with us and through the Holy Spirit that is, indwells us, that lives inside of us, Lord God, that is with us as we worship together, as we celebrate His Supper, Lord. And we give You praise for that, and we praise You that we can still look forward to more when Jesus returns. Jesus gives us a joy that expands. Thank you for giving us fresh new hearts to contain that joy. And I ask that you would be with anyone here that has not received Jesus, that they would come to you and that they would accept Jesus Christ in full, not just as a patch, but as one that did everything that it took to bring them to salvation. Help us to worship you with joy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.